Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, and welcome to the Roka Report podcast. Alex has pulled a sickie and is out of today's game with a little strain of flu. But fear not, myself, Graham Falk, will be stepping in to discuss yesterday's horror show here at the wonderful University of Sunland Studios. Alongside me to chat about yesterday's game, Russell threw our bag of three-word reviews and the future of Jack Ross is first and foremost our very own Paddy, who's making possibly his final appearance on the pod after getting a full-time employment as a journal. Well done, mate. How are you doing? Thanks so much. Not too bad, yeah. I'm just looking around for places to live now in um, Aberystwyth. So which, that's been a fun week so far. Which is Wales, isn't it? It is, yeah. Yes. West Coast of Wales. West Coast Wales. Secondly, I've got the Chronicles, James Hunter. How are you this rainy Sunday, James? Hi there, yeah. I'm good, thank you. Drying out a bit after walking here. <laughs> and last but certainly not least, suddenly that was Phil Smith, a man with a rather impressive music taste, I just believe. How are you doing? Are you all? Yeah, I, yeah, I'm fine. Thanks very much. Didn't yeah. expect that intro, did you? No, I didn't. Um, yeah, thoughts. no, that's true. That's cheered me up. Yeah, it's made my weekend. <laughs> so before we dive into yesterday's review, we do have our first competition winner of the show this week. Our friends at Football Bobbles offered one of our listeners a free Sunland Quinn bobble hat, which is inspired by the legendary Irishman's contribution towards Sunland's record-breaking promotion in 1999. It's also Quinny's birthday today. Did everyone know that? Yes, I've seen about 85 tweets to that effect today. I don't know if I would have known otherwise, but he's been uh, he's been well celebrated the day after a defeat. <laughs> he's, 50, he's 53. Funny that. He's, uh, if, if anyone hasn't seen it yet, I posted a quite a rather good LucasAid video that he did in his Man City days, which is, for all intents and purposes, pretty shocking. But I'm pleased to announce the winner of that particular hat is at GavButler1980. So if you're listening, Gav, give us a wee message and we'll send you over a nice hat. And since it's raining, you're probably going to need it. So as for yesterday's review, after two impressive wins against Sheffield United and MK Dons, Jack Ross's Sunland has reverted to type yesterday and put in arguably the worst performance of the season, which is saying something when you think back to the Bolton game only a few weeks ago. Sunland started with an unchanged 11. O'Neill continued as a shadow striker. Charlie White fought off competition from the returning Mark McNulty to remain in the striking role, and McGeoch and Power were given the chance to continue their partnership in the middle. However, whilst the side remained unchanged, the performance was absolutely nothing like last week's rather comfortable win over MK. I think right from the first minute, Sunderland was sluggish in possession, beaten to every second ball, and pretty much bullied all over the pitch. And it was no real surprise when Lincoln opened up the scoring after some really poor goalkeeping from John McLaughlin. 
if fans were hoping that that would wake us up, it, we were severely disappointed, truth be told, as we continued to shirk tackles, couldn't get our foot on the ball and didn't show any cohesion right throughout the side. So early in the second period when Bruno Andrade won a penalty after torturing Debock on the break, he missed it, but they did add their second shortly afterwards. Aidan McGeady losing the ball up high up the field and then Sunderland failing to deal with another counter-attack and it was a smart finish from Tyler Walker. And in the remaining minutes, we huffed and puffed, but pretty much we looked bereft of confidence, a plan, and then he will really. So all in all, pretty terrible day. So I'll start with you, Phil. What did you make of yesterday's performance? Very frustrating. I think mainly because not not for the first time in the season, we've probably gone into a game with everyone feeling like we were inching towards a best 11, if you like, or certainly a shape, a structure that's fairly reliable, obviously accounting for the odd injuries and what have you and the odd tweak. Um, but that's in a way been been the story of a season. Players who look to be edging towards top form, look to be finding the rhythm, look to be getting their place in the side, really not delivering. Um, you look at the the midfield balance that looked very good last weekend, very, very disappointing. Up front didn't work, didn't hold the ball up, um, not a great deal of intensity. Um so that was, you know, really, really frustrating because yet again you go into this two week break and and it's kind of almost back to the drone board if you like. And that and that was frustrating because after the after the two games last week, you felt as if maybe a, a strongest eleven, some partnerships were beginning to form and all and all of a sudden they're in in doubt again and that, you know, no doubt the manager will will take the heat for that inconsistency and I'm I'm sure he'll accept that. But you know, the it's it's frustrating watching the players from that perspective as well. What did you make of it, James? Yeah, well, obviously it's very similar to to what Phil said. What's so frustrating, I find, is you, you have two, uh, un, well, you have an unchanged side between uh, uh, the game down at Lincoln and the game against M- MK, and they deliver you know, two completely different performances. There doesn't seem to be any rhyme or reason to that. You've got the same personnel playing in the same system with the same tactics. So I don't think that you know you could level. Uh, criticism at Ross for tinkering with things or changing things unnecessarily. You know, you win a game, so you keep an unchanged team. So when that team, in in my view, lets the manager down, then I think that you know that that it's the players that need to look at themselves. Ross was quite scathing um, afterwards in his assessment, saying that the players didn't do the basics and the fundamentals right, um, and he accepted responsibility for that as the manager. Um, but I put it to him after the game. I said, you know, you can a manager can accept responsibility for his selections and tactics and and shape and what have you. But should the manager have to accept responsibility for players not doing the basics, not running around, not uh, putting in the work, not putting in the effort? That shouldn't be something that a manager has to ask players to do. Players should do that off their own bat. So that's what I found the most frustrating aspect of of the game at Lincoln. And Paddy, did you go, Paddy? Uh, no, I couldn't make it. Uh, you didn't miss out, didn't worry. Uh, <laughs> I was, um, I don't know, it's just, I, saw, I agree with what's been said there because like, the, the manager can't take responsibility for individual mistakes on the pitch. And I think when you look back at John McLaughlin's mistake, look at first time and I think that their lad's got a touch on it and I think, okay, he's beating him to the ball. He still should be doing better when he's not coming towards it. But you look at it again and it looks like He's just literally got the ball and he's trying to get hold of it and it's ended up over his shoulder in the back of the net. And you're there thinking like, yeah, OK, Ross is getting a lot of stick at the minute, you know, and obviously that's that was heaped on after yesterday's game. But he can't, he isn't responsible for 
who he feels is first choice goalkeeper for basically just carrying out mistakes like that. You just can't just have the basics for isn't it? as a manager. Just the basics, isn't it? And I it think is, yeah, it's simple. You know, you've all touched on how it's is going to affect Jack Ross and that's where the heat's going to lie no matter what we look at and where we point the finger at. So I will go through our three-word review, which does have a theme running through it, which is Jack Ross-based, shall we say. Um, the Hashpipe, 83, which is our lovely Sean, who might have a bit of a nightmare editing this because I'm terrible at sound, said, hit the road. I'm guessing it means Jack. Adam Fika said, Donald must act. Jake Collinson said, Jack's time's up. Mobile Mackham Improvement not happening. Janie M, even I've turned. Gav said, not getting promoted. John K's tractor said, where's Keane's number? Sean Gunner Graham, very average squad. Someone called Till I Die, I'm assuming that's Sunland, said Ross, Dross and Loss. And Craig Robinson said, regression, not progression. And rather funnily, David Rankin said, 81 more points. <laughs> um... So I suppose, in a sense, you can see that the heat has sort of turned up on Jack Ross. As I think he was under a lot of pressure anyway coming into the game, especially after that Bolton game. It feels like he's only ever 45 minutes away from people basically saying he, can't no, he can no longer be in the job, he can't continue with it. But, but James, you spoke to Jack after the game, and you've already sort of spoke about that already. He seemed pretty downbeat. He sort of admitted it was an embarrassment. Um, there's a lot of talk around sacking him, but do you pick up a demeanour from him in particular that says you know maybe maybe he'll he'll walk away from it his comments over the past few weeks just indicate a lot of unhappiness i don't get that impression no i think uh, i think he's he's frustrated at the situation as as anybody else would would be i think he it's very difficult for any manager when you don't know what you're going to get from from your players from one game to the next and that's what i was highlighting by the difference between the two performances in the last two games um i don't get an impression that you that he's ready to walk away from the job. I mean, why why would he? There's six in, in the table, four points away from automatic promotion. The biggest problem, I, I think, and I've written about it today, is that um, there's an impression out there, there's a, there's a feeling out there amongst some fans, not all fans, but some fans, that Sunderland should be walking this league. And, and that is setting up an unrealistic expectation because this squad, this team, is nowhere near good enough to walk this league. Uh, and... And you know you only need to, to see the, the team in action to, to see that. It's not as though this is a, a squad of uh, League One champions elect that's being held back by Jack Ross. This is a, a good League One team that's capable of mounting a promotion challenge, capable of winning automatic promotion. But there's the idea that Sunderland should just turn up at these places, be it Bolton, Lincoln, wherever, just say thanks very much for the three points and walk out again. Um, it's a nonsense and it's it's dragging the club back because every time uh, they draw a game or obviously yesterday you can't I'm not defending yesterday's performance or, or result not at all but the point is every time there's a drop point there's a, a really bad reaction to it it becomes a very hard club to manage I've seen it here um, going back a long period of time really it can be a very difficult club to manage um, and a lot of managers have, have come unstuck here you know in, in my sort of 20 years Covering the club, there's there's been an awful lot of managers come come unstuck here, um, and it and it just feels as as though there's there's a, a bad vibe all all the time at, at the moment, and even when Sunderland won five games in a row, um, that only quietened things down a bit. It only needed one bad result and everything came back again. Two wins, as, as you spoke about, the, against uh, 
uh, Sheffield United and, and MK that quietened things down. But it was straight again, straight back again. You know, after after one bad result, and that's a really difficult situation for a for a manager to handle. And I just don't know how you you break out of that that cycle. I think that um, uh, Sunderland are, are a decent League One team, but the idea that they are uh, far and away the best team in this league is is a nonsense. And you you look back at the start of the season, Sunderland started off with with two one one draws, one against Oxford, one against Ipswich. The first meltdown of the season was after that Ipswich 1-1 draw. Well, Ipswich are top of the table. They're, they're still unbeaten. Here we are now in October. You know, maybe people should look back at that result now and think, actually, it wasn't as bad, actually, as uh, as people made out at the time. But at the time, two 1-1 draws and people were ready to sack Jack Ross at that stage. I don't know. It, it just doesn't seem doesn't seem sensible to me. What about you, Phil? I think um, we've talked about Jack Ross's demeanour and a lot of fans will use his his demeanour against him. There's a lot of chat of his hands are in his pockets, which I'll be honest with you, that doesn't really matter whether you're shouting and screaming or not. But do you feel like just in the past few recent weeks with his comments about fans and just his general demeanour, do you think think it's getting to him? I think that... Well, I think I think for starters, he's always been... He's never really someone who's spoken in, in cliche or necessarily said what you would expect him to say in press conferences. He's always been a little bit like that right from day one. He's never been... An emotive speaker. He's never been a tub thumper. Um, and, you know, we would always say never too high, never too low. So I wouldn't read too much into that. But I think, quite honestly, it's been a difficult period for the entire club going back to the Wembley playoff final. And I don't think it's by design or malice, uh, malice incompetence, bad leadership, anything like that. But since then, let's be honest, the club's been in a fairly permanent state of uncertainty since then. We've been talking about potential new investors going back best part of a year now. It yeah. was being spoken pretty publicly on the record as far back as March. You had a situation where Jack's going for a summer break and it looks like possibly Mark Campbell's coming in. I know Stuart Donald would say it wasn't that advanced, but there was a decent chance at that point he was going to come in. He was going to bring in John Park. He was going to run recruitment. He was going to be signing the players. Didn't happen. Now, subsequently, given some of the things that were Mark Campbell said about players who's going to sign. I think most people would say, well, maybe that was for the best. But let's let's be honest, that was a long period of the summer gone. Since then, same thing again. Protracted takeover talks. Understandably, you have owners who have to be cautious. They can't come out and talk as they maybe would like to, as they would have at one stage. Absolutely no problem. The deal is dragged on a little bit. No problem. You've got to get the right deal. You've got to get the right people. Not a criticism at all. But it's created that element of uncertainty right throughout the club and I think it has made Jack quite isolated yeah I think it has made him isolated I don't think it's been particularly easy for him to manage that Um, that's not an excuse for yesterday's performance by any stretch of the imagination and I've absolutely no issue with the debate about whether he's improved the team whether he has a t- he's put in place and is selecting a team that at the moment is going to challenge for the top two it's a perfectly valid debate but it, it can only be one one part of the debate of this football club because when you're in a situation where you've effectively been in takeover talks for the best part of six months, naturally that stops you driving parts of the club forward because everything is on hold. Okay, Sunderland still did transfer business in the summer. But it's very difficult to drive the club forward when there's that uncertainty. So I think there's a lot of questions for the club to to ponder at the moment, for fans to ponder. Absolutely no issue with Jack being part of that. He, he knows the score. He knows some of the performances this season, particularly yesterday, weren't good enough, but it... It has to be in the wider picture of where the club's at right now and 
you cannot underestimate the need for a bit of clarity and a bit of leadership off the pitch as well. And even if we acknowledge that there's reasons why it's been quiet on that from recently, it's not it's not something that continue because it's a very, very difficult situation. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, Paddy, what do you think about Jack Ross? What, what do you make of his demeanour in his, his general past few weeks? Well, it's it's interesting because I remember when he first signed, I remember like in the first few games, I noticed a lot of people comment on how he didn't really sort of like he wasn't very commanding in his six-yard box and he looked like quite a sort of a, people refer to him as like a sort of a cool customer so at that point at the start it was sort of seen as like a compliment they said oh this guy looks pretty like calm and collected you know maybe he's like the you know we don't need like a big name guy to sort of take us back to where we want to be but now obviously when the results haven't been going our way for the you know for the good part of a year let's be honest now like we, yeah. we haven't really been it's getting up to the year isn't it we haven't been on a good consistent run and look like really bulldozing teams at any point in League One and I think that's obviously that's frustrated a lot of people to the point where this compliment of how he's like looks really calm and collected and it's all of a sudden changed into well he's got his hands in his pockets or he's sat down in the dugout or he doesn't look bothered so it's it's been interesting seeing that sort of change with the way that the team's been playing um, and I think obviously it's been touched on before that we had that run where we won four or five games but you just it's in the back of your mind like if there's one bad result, then all the negativity is just going to come flooding back in. So it's almost like you're sort of you're waiting for that. I got the point where I feel like I'm waiting for that negative result because you just think like it's going to come. You know, we're going to slip up against somebody who we're not expecting to slip up. Personally, obviously, you look at the Bolton result. You know, a lot of people go into that thinking, oh well, these have lost like five nil about three times this season. We should go and do the same, and then. Obviously, it was bad getting through to half-time and it's nil-nil. Obviously, when Bolton took the lead, sort of social media goes into meltdown and, you know, even with people were saying, then, oh, if we win this now, it doesn't matter. Obviously, you know, we got the point. We were very fortunate in the end and it's, it's, it is hard to say because obviously you don't want to think about the negatives, but at the minute with the way we're playing... They do exist, don't they? Yeah, it, it's just, it just feels like we're just we're always on the verge of just capitulating, you know, and we did it at Peterborough in the sense that we got, as well as the 3-0 defeat, we went down to nine men. And obviously at Lincoln, you know, they they sort of hit, hit us with the sucker punch early in the second half of the second goal. And then you got like half an hour where we just, it was flat really, you know, nothing was really happening. And it's just, obviously it's not the first time it's happened this season. It's happened a couple of times already and it, it is only October. So it's, I think, I don't think Ross will be, it, it, I know he's fully aware that obviously there's a lot of fans are now against him. And I think he came out yesterday and he said how he found the performance embarrassing, which I'm not sure if he said this before, but I found quite interesting because I, I've never really heard him be that emotive. He always used to like, it's the first time I've heard it as well. And, and just to touch on that, he was, and probably Phil and James can probably remember this as well, last year, when we were going through that period of like drawn games, he was, I wouldn't say defensive of his players, but he protected them very much, didn't he? Sit and very much laid on the positives. Well, I, well, that's why I found it interesting that you used the words sort of downbeat or you didn't use the word defeated, but you know, that yeah. kind of implication from yesterday's press conference, because I, I did not get that impression at all. I, I, I don't know what James get. For that exact reason, there's been times where Jack comes out for a press conference after a disappointing result and there's that, sense that criticism's come in that he feels is unfair or unfounded or comes from the wrong place, whatever. 
well, you know, yesterday there was none of that. Yesterday was well, like an acceptance. I, well, what, what else are you going to say about that performance? Everyone, yeah. everyone can see it was, it was rubbish. I didn't, I didn't say him was particularly downbeat yesterday at all. I mean, I, I don't, I don't know what James thinks of that, but it there was almost that. Well, yeah, okay. There's been times in the past, and I'll stand by what I said. But on you know, on this occasion, you have your days in football. You just got to take it. You, you, we didn't turn up, and you've just got to take it. And yesterday was certainly one of those. I think we're in a position now as a club. And we can go around the houses about whether it's fair or not, and everyone will have their own opinions on it. Till Sunderland are in the top two, any negative result, any that's not a convincing win, is going to bring a lot of criticism for Jack. That's now a fact of the situation. We can go around the houses about whether that's fair or not. Yeah, that's that's where we're at. That's where in a football club you need really, really strong leadership, and that's what I was going back to. That's where you need real, real clarity on what your project is, where you're trying to go, where this blip fits into the bigger picture. Is it a serious issue or is it a blip that you think you can ride out? What are you trying to do in the long term and how do these results fit into that? And it's very hard to do that when you're in a situation where Sunderland are at the moment where you're not quite sure what's coming next. And that's why, again, if there's a debate about the manager, it can only be one part of the debate because at the moment it's one part of a much bigger picture and, and until we know of those pieces, you know, it. You, you you need to know you need to know all those things before you can come to a complete judgment about where the club's going and and I, maybe that's where if I was the manager I would feel a little bit frustrated. It was a difficult summer in a lot of ways. If we go back to when Josh Madger left the club, take it through the summer window, there's a lot of good players have left the club, yeah. and there's some good players come in as well. But you know, from his perspective, I'd I'd be looking at it and saying, well, okay, results and performances haven't been great this season. But I've brought in some young players at a good age. I've brought through some academy graduates okay with mixed results, but you would expect that. But what we still don't have as a football club is that sense of where that fits in with the bigger picture because there's still this uncertainty. Um, and until that gets sorted, I think it's going to be very, very difficult for the club to drive forward. Talked about, um, I mean, I, I've made no secrets on on this podcast. I'm not not a huge fan of him, but I'd very much take on board that he has, and, and I'm, I'm pretty certain he would have had some sort of meeting with the likes of Mark Campbell, and that would have disrupted his summer and how he felt. But I think, you know, it wouldn't be fair, um, and I know a guy on Twitter, Pencho Macam, actually asked a really good question. Um, how much of the blame should the recruitment team get for the current position as well? I mean, he's pointed out Richard Hill and Tony Corton saying the, having the final say on transfers. Um, I think we've heard d- different opinions on that. But if you look at the players that have left compared to the ones that have come in, Maybe it's too early to judge, but the likes of like Reese James, Honeyman, Catamore, Madger, Adam Matthews have all gone. And based on the evidence so far, are, are they weaker players than that we've let go? The likes of DeBock replacing James, Dobson replacing Honeyman, Ledbetter, Catamore, Greg Madger, McLaughlin, Matthews. Has the recruitment, recruitment team got something to answer for as well, do you think? Well, that's a fascinating question and a very, very fair question to ask. Yeah. My initial two responses to that would be one, what level of funding has been available to replace those players that you'd mentioned? Most of the players there you're mentioning are players on big uh, wages. It's, a, it's yeah. a very big scale, so distorted a little bit. By and large, we're talking about established players, right? On yeah. decent money. If you look at the players who've come in since then, um, I'm not saying they've not... Some of them have come in for fees, Will Grigg being the obvious one. I'm sure some of them are on decent money and what have you. Has it been wildly bigger investment than, say, Peter Bringing and Moisa? Has it been wildly bigger investment than Fleetwood saying bringing in Paul Coots from Sheffield United, who yeah. was part of the championship winning team? And to be clear, that's not a criticism. It's just me saying that 
it doesn't have to be negative if you're being sustainable, if you're bringing in young players who you think you can build up your salon value. Um, but recruitment's a, it's a fascinating question and, and that's what I mean about this clarity, about what the club's trying to do, what's yeah. the model, what's what's the long-term goal. Um, and it's it, and it's a very fair question and, and yeah, I think the kind of questions that moving forward are perfectly perfectly valid to be asking. What do you think, James? I think a myth has been allowed to develop about the Sunderland having the biggest budget in League One. I agree um, with that, absolutely. Uh, this is a line that's trotted out, interestingly, never by by the football side of, of the club. Um, that look at the uh, look at the size of the the budget. We've got the biggest budget in League One, and people therefore say you get what you pay for, and therefore Sunderland should be running away with the league. But to the extent that that the budget side of it was was in was true last year, that was a, a legacy cost of wages, and we've seen players like Lee Catamol and Brian Oviedo depart because they were unaffordable, um, and that's completely understandable. But look at the actual investment from the owners in the playing squad this summer. There's only one player arrived for for any money, George Dobson. The rest, rest of the signings were free transfers, loan signings. Um, so the idea that, that Sunderland are somehow outspending everybody and... Um, you know, there should be leaps and bounds ahead of everybody is is just not the case. I think that um, you make the point about the recruitment side of it and Tony Corton and Richard Hill. Um, the Mark Campbell proposed takeover um, was incredibly close to going through last year, whatever anybody says. Um, and there were people within the football club, within the recruitment setup, that thought they would no longer be here. And... All of a sudden, when the takeover fell through, um, those people were told, actually, you are needed after all. And so they had to make a standing start on the recruitment. And that's kind of flown completely un- under the radar. People don't realise, a, a lot of the time when criticisms are made, people only have the, you know, the, the slightest understanding of what's actually going on behind the scenes. Um, and so you end up making a standing start to your recruitment. You're late to it. So... Other people have, have have signed the players that might have been your first choice in certain positions. Um, obviously, the, the 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 one big signing that the club has made under the present owners was Will Grigg in January, yeah. a signing that hasn't worked on any level, um, but a signing that has only been a huge failure because of the the sheer size of the transfer fee. And you'd have to ask why that much money was paid for that player. At that point, and if it hadn't gone to deadline day without Sunderland bringing in a striker in January, then Wigan would not have been able to hold Sunderland to ran- ransom. And so you need to ask why why that's happened. I think that's the key question uh, on that particular signing. But I, I, I think that, that as I say, I, I think this this squad is not much, if any, stronger than last season. Um, but. If that's the budget you've got to work with, that's the budget you've got to work with. You've got to you've got to try and um, bring in players that you think you can get something out of. Last season, Sunderland brought in Luko Nyan, a player that I'm pretty sure no no Sunderland fan or very few Sunderland fans would have heard of before he arrived here. But he's turned turned into and developed into a very very good League One player. A player Sunderland could make a profit on if they wanted to sell him uh, tomorrow. It might be that George Dobson is that player this season. Um, you know you. <laughs> You have to give players a bit of time. We're only eleven games in into the season, but I just think that uh, um, 
overall, you, you know, you need to have an appreciation of, of, of the budget that they're, that they're working to. And the fact that, that the uncertainty over the takeover, first the Mark Campbell one, and now the MSD partners, which, you know, uh, I know Stuart Donald says is, uh, is not hanging in the balance, but he also said it was better than 50-50. Well, that wasn't as advanced as we'd all been led to believe. Um, so you don't really know where, where these where these things are on the track. It's affecting everything, as 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 Phil said. You know, new contracts for players they they're they're virtually at a standstill because nobody dare commit any money, and players don't know what the plan is going forward. Uh, so at the moment, all these things combine, and it, and it makes a, a a very very difficult situation with what's going on on the field. It's 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 taking taking on the same shape off the field as well. Paddy, do you think you could have been helped by the recruitment? I think, no, I'm sort of in the same boat. I think we, if you look at some of the players who obviously we had last season and have obviously, you know, we look at most of them have sort of gone on to, I suppose some have gone on to sort of better things. I mean, look at Honeyman's become a regular now for Hull in the Championship. Uh, he's basically doing, you know, he's doing what he was doing last season, but you've got to think that. You know, he hasn't got the responsibility of captain. You know, he's sort of, he hasn't gone in there as like the the local lad with the captain's armband, which is something which I never really agreed with. And I think that's what sort of helped him make up his mind to sort of move away from the North East and maybe sort of try and sort of kickstart his career somewhere else. Um, but no, I think we do have, we have got a, a good League One squad as it is. Um, I think it is just a case of, a lot of people getting tied up in this idea that we do have lots more money than any other League One team to spend because that's just it. In the end, that sort of rumour and that sort of idea, it's going to be harmful because every week, you know, every 1-1 draw and every away defeat we have, you're going to have people coming away from the match thinking, oh, you know, like we've got a bigger budget than them, you know, we should be smashing them. It's like, we haven't, you know, and even if we did, we haven't we haven't got that pulling power to attract the players to really walk the league like a lot of people think we should be and i think it's just it's a case of being realistic and it's frustrating how sort of a year and a half into being in league 1 there's a lot of people still haven't sort of adjusted to that so i think obviously the recruitment hasn't helped with you know there's been other distractions elsewhere but i do think that we, I honestly don't think we are, we are much worse off other than the fact that we don't have that striker, which we had in Josh Madger, who, you know, the team could play. I remember numerous games before Christmas last year where the team wasn't really turning up, but Madger was there to get a goal and we'd nick a win or we'd get a point. So it's just like, it's got the point now where we don't have that one player who we can rely on to, for that, you know, that quick turn, that little bit of magic just to like get us a result out of a game. And I think it's obviously further down the line, the fact that I think it's something like since Madja left, I think about four or five strikers have got less goals than what Madja got before Christmas. I think that's really concerning. So I, I, I do think overall the squad does look okay. I don't think it's much worse off than last season, but it's, it, it's the clinical finisher what we're missing and we're really suffering for it. I think we've we've discussed a lot about the things that have have hindered Jack Ross, and just to kind of play him with devil's advocate a little bit, and I'll, I'll come to you first, Phil. 
I mean, when you look through Sunderland's team, I don't think we're as good as we would like to be. Don't get me wrong. I'm mm-hmm. not saying I don't. I'm not saying we're good enough to win this league, but surely a team with McGeady, Maguire, um, Power, McGeoch, McLaughlin, Willis, all players that pretty much off the top of my head, most teams in League One would take. Surely Jack Ross has got to be getting more out of them. Well, certainly more than yesterday and, yeah. and more than on a few occasions this season, so no problem with that. I guess what my retort to that would be, playing devil's advocate as well, is it, yeah, okay, you've got good players there, but have you got a good blend there? Have you got a good variety there? And the question I would pose is, Sun, um, Lincoln's second goal yesterday, do you think Sunderland uh, could score that goal? No, not haven't. Got well, there we go then. So you've got, so you've got good players, no doubt about it. Good players who, by and large, should be winning a lot of games at this level and be pretty competitive, which they are. But I think there's plenty of players in this league from other teams that I would take. Yeah, players with athleticism, players with pace. I would love Doncaster's Ben Whiteman in Sunderland's midfield. I would love Bruno Andrade. I'd love Tyler Walker up front. Yeah, Ivan Tony. So Sunderland have got good players. Yeah. And you're absolutely right. I'm sure any of those clubs would take one or two of Sunderland's players and love to drop them in their team. But there's plenty of other players from other teams as well that I would have in the Sunderland side. So I'd, I, I've got no issue with your point. I think Sunderland have got a squad that should be challenging this season. Absolutely yeah. no doubt about it. I don't believe they've got a squad that should be flying absolutely miles ahead in the division. Okay, maybe Ipswich don't either. Maybe they've also got a very good squad at this league. And fair play. They're delivering some really impressive results absolutely ruthless up front and at the back and you know there's no there's no doubt that the manager's responsible for that but in response to what you're saying I agree to a point but yeah there's plenty of other players I would have in this Sunderland team as well and I think yesterday was a perfect example of that It's funny you mentioned pace and power I think um, we've missed that for the best part of it a year maybe longer than that haven't we it's, it's stretching back and I guess it goes back to recruitment again though doesn't it James I mean I don't know what you think about Obviously, having the, the right kind of players, do you agree with Phil's sentiments that we need maybe some pace, power in the middle? Yeah, I think that's I think that's pretty evident. I think what's interesting is the point that you just made about uh, the players that Sunderland have got, Conor McLaughlin, Jordan Willis and Chris Maguire and whatever. That kind of puts the lie to you. the previous point you made about the recruitment team being no good. Only one of those two things can can be the case. If, for for if, the record, it's not necessarily no, the, the points no, I'm sorry, having, but the sorry, questions sorry, that I'm yeah, posing. The, yeah. the question that you pose, uh, which no, I have to that's do. What I was, that's what I was meaning. The, the point is, you know, if the recruitment's no good, then you know the, there wouldn't be decent players. I think Phil Phil's right. There are there are probably in, in every team in in League One. There's a couple of players that you would like to see in Sunderland's team, and there's probably two or three players in Sunderland's team that any team in in League One including Ipswich, who are flying at the top of the table, would take. Um, I think that that's what I'm trying to get at. It's not as though Sunderland have got a team of uh, uh, of players that are capable of w- walking the league. They're, they're a good team. They're a competitive team. They're a team that will challenge for promotion under Jack Ross if everything is, is left as it is. Um, will they improve on last season's position? I think they can. Um, but... You know, you, you can't just assume that that Sunderland will will walk away with this league. And changing manager now will not necessarily make any difference. It will not turn this team into a into a team capable of walking the league. You know, you might be able to get a little bit more out of it. You might end up with somebody that gets less out of it. But you won't transform the team by bringing in a new manager if that's what people are are wondering about. 
Paddy, I'll come to you with this one. Since we're on the, the subject of, of players, there's been a little bit of debate surrounding John McLaughlin. Uh, McLaughlin. Um, I don't want to write him off at all. And I think he, he is a very good goalkeeper, but there's definitely a, he's definitely not on the form he was last season. And there's been a lot of calls for Lee Burge to come in. Now, his mistake yesterday was probably his, his worst of this season. And he's made more than he more than the first 11 games than he had the whole of last season. But would would you replace him, Paddy? I think at this point I would want to replace him, but it would be more for his own confidence. Because yeah. I think he showed us last season that he is a, he is a good goalkeeper. And, you know, this season, I don't know what it is. It's just something, you know, it's psychological, you know, it's the mindset where he just, he just hasn't looked like the sort of, he hasn't looked like the goalkeeper who arguably won us points last season with some of his performances. You know, cause there was times last season where he'd be he'd be keeping out efforts left, right, and centre, and you got to think, well, you know, we need to be, we, you need support for this. You know, we can't just be relying on a above-average league-one goalkeeper to basically get us save us enough points to get in this top two when the sort of outfield players aren't really doing the job. But no, I think it's a good time with there being an international break to have a bit of a tinker with the team and I think I would start with uh, bringing in Lee Burge for the um, I think it's Wickham we'll have next yeah Wickham in the league now yeah. um, just what you want by the way Wickham away yeah right now they haven't lost a haven't lost a home game this season I don't I don't, I don't, I don't even points. mean I don't even mean form I just mean I just mean generally yeah, it was horrible that game, wasn't it? Even last year, George Honeyman managed to lose his right. <laughs> I was minging that. It was horrible. What do you think, Phil? Would you bring in Lee Burger? Would you? Do you think that affects um, McLaughlin's confidence? Quite, quite honestly, no, I wouldn't. I don't. I don't think there's any doubt that John McLaughlin's not quite the well, nowhere near the form he was last season. I still would counter that by saying I think there've been times where he's been good this season. I think back to. The Rochdale game, the last 10 minutes, he was really good. He really commanding yeah, his box. Portsmouth as well. I thought he finished the game well. So that's that's not to say that he's he's not made errors or whatever. I'm, it's, it's blatantly obvious that he has. But I just think there have, you, there have still been occasions this season where we've got a good goalkeeper. And honestly, I would like to get his contract sorted. Remove that away from him. Yeah, You've got the security that you need. You're here. You're our number one. And I think you might see an improvement in performances after that. With all these things, it ultimately it's got to come down to the player as well. John, you speak to John, he is one of the best professionals you'll meet in the game. Really, really, really level-headed. Great speaker, great person to have around, does things the right way. Um, frustrating at the moment, um, there's no doubt that he's, that he's off form, but I would love to get that contract situation wrapped up, give him that security, put it back on him. Right, You're our number one now, here's your contract, you know you're here go and get back to the levels we know you can produce and I, th- I think you would maybe get a response. What do you think, James? Do you think the contract situation may be affecting them more than we, we know? I think I think it does. I think it's it's on it's only natural it happens to, to players. It's just an uncertainty at the back of back of your mind. Um and it goes back to it feeds them back to what we were saying earlier about the uncertainty over takeovers because that's what's what's proven to be the, the logjam. People don't want to make big decisions at, at the top because they know that you know, the, there might be a change of, of ownership coming. So I think that, that is a problem. But as far as the goalkeeping situation more generally is concerned, 
I would still keep John McLaughlin as my number one for now. I wouldn't. That's not to say that I've got anything against Lee Birch because I haven't. I think he's been absolutely fantastic whenever he's been called upon. I'm pretty sure you'll you'll see him play against Grimsby on Tuesday night. So it'll be another opportunity. But I feel at the moment that that almost Ross is on a bit of a hiding to nothing. Whatever he does in any given situation, in that if he if he does make a change of goalkeeper, um, which is something that, as you say, there's a there's a growing feeling amongst fans that you should do so if he makes that change against Wickham and plays Lee Burge and if Lee Burge makes a mistake then it will be Jack Ross's fault and what's he changed goalkeeper for and, and so on and so forth I, I do feel that 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 he's, he is in a bit of a no-win situation in any of these given uh, decisions that he that he has to make um, and it's and it's a shame really but you know, ultimately, he's the manager and he has to make the, these kind of decisions. But it does feel as though there are people willing to to use anything, whether it's keeping your hands in your pockets, for goodness sake, <laughs> you know, against you. If 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 you if people don't like you and you have your hands in your pockets, that's why they don't like you. If he was waving his arms around like a windmill, that's why they wouldn't like him. Do you know what I mean? It's, yeah. You are in one of those situations where people will find something to pick fault with, whatever you do. Uh, and the only answer for any manager is to counter that with results and performances. It was quite funny going back to the Bolton game, talking about because I, 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 again, I'll, I'll repeat, I'm, I'm very much, I don't feel he's the right man, but I do feel at the same time some of the criticism he gets is, is pretty strong. Going back to the Bolton game, my, my girlfriend actually noticed he, he went to write a note on his, on his leg as you do, and, and bent over, and some guy kicked off and said, "Look at him, he's just looking at his shoes." Um, yeah. To which we kindly pointed out he was actually writing a note um, to hopefully spur the team wanting to get an equaliser. But there you go. Um, but yeah, that, I very much think there is that, and that actually brings me onto a, something I did want to discuss. Um, and I'm not going to I'm not going to hide it at all. I think I'm going to ask sort of you first, Paddy, first and foremost. Personally, the abuse, and it was actually Mark Potter that brought this up. The abuse that some of the players and the manager have taken this season, Mark Potter said, has been absolutely disgusting, and I, I, I do agree with some of it. To be honest, that it's been terrible. You can rightly criticise where it's due, he says, but some of the personal comments in the grounds and social media is embarrassing to the rest of our fan base. And he specifically pointed out the situation with Tom Flanagan yesterday. Has everybody seen that? Yeah, I've not Flanagan. seen that. I'm, a, I'm aware uh, vaguely yeah. of it, but. Yeah. What do you think, Paddy? Do you think that it's just been a bit way too vitriolic? Yeah, I don't think there's any need for that. I think, you know, Tom Flanagan he's he divides opinion. Um I think there's gonna be a lot more negatives. Didn't even play yesterday, bless it, his heart. That's the thing, yeah. You know, he's he's come out, he's seen that there's obviously people waiting for autographs. He's gone out and signed them. You know, like ninety five percent of the people there are being, you know, like obviously grateful that he's come out to sign and then you get one person who just just has to say that comment. They don't need to, but obviously someone's going through their mind thinking, oh no, I need to say this because well, I don't really know why he's got to say it because it's pointless. And all it's going to do is it's it shows up how it shows up how bad some of our fans can be. Obviously not all of them. You know, it's all in these cases. I think every club has that, exactly, that element, yeah. doesn't it? And you, you hate to see it. And I think I, I do think there's a lot to be said for how well Flanagan handled it because I'll be honest, I can't go into details, but that's not the first time Tom Flanagan's had to deal with something publicly. Um and, and I think he handled it quite well. But it's it's just not on is it Paddy really. It's just that doesn't I get that people want to vent their frustrations, but just shouting at a player who was an unused sub that day 
who's come out to sign autographs and chat to people. It's just, I don't really see what that's achieving. And I, I, I agree. I think I think Tom handled it really well. I think if it was other players might have, you know, approached the guy more and maybe given him the attention what he probably wanted. So I think it was it was fair play to obviously um, Tom for reacting how he did. But it's it's bad because you know it gets it gets shared on social media. Then more and more people see it. Other supporters of other clubs see it, and it's just it's not nice. I, I know it's a minority, but it doesn't look good when you know when you start having like fans shouting stupid things of players after a disappointing match. What do you think, James? Do you think it's been a bit too far this season sometimes with certain individuals? I think people people just in general, not just in, in this football club, but I think people people in general uh, get far too excited and over... Uh, they take the, I don't want to say take things far too seriously, but what I, what I mean is people get so het up about things that they can't control and and the abusing players um in that way or or on social media for for that matter it's just not acceptable it doesn't reflect well on the football club even though it's only a tiny minority of people that do it and it certainly doesn't reflect well on on them as as people and human beings and what i'd like to see is i'd like to see the 99% majority of Sunderland fans call these people out for what they are that's what i'd like to see how about you, Phil? I mean, I wanted to make a point actually beforehand over to you, Phil. There's been a lot of, um, talking about Jack Ross and a lot, a lot of it is Scottish this and Scottish that, which evidently I take offence to. Um, but w- what do you make of the kind of, it's been vitriolic this season, hasn't it, a little bit? I think it's just a society thing. I would always, I would always say where where, football, uh, where society leads, football follows. I don't think it's a, a uniquely Sunderland problem at all. I think uh, it's it's a major issue right right across our society and to be honest you know our nation it's absolutely so so social media has created a climate where people aren't accountable for what they say um you don't even have to have an identity on social media to go out and and say things that in any other walk of life would would have serious repercussions so um you, you can you can only condemn it it's not a Sunland issue it's not a Sunland fans issue whatsoever it's a it's a society issue um, and until society gets a grip of it, it's gonna football's gonna have an issue with it. I think it's really well summed up. I absolutely agree with you on that, hundred percent. Um, away from that, sort of going back to, I suppose Jack Ross again, which is sort of, I suppose, dominated this conversation. But I suppose it's, it's going to because it's it's on everyone's lips, isn't it? But honestly, I don't think anyone knows if if Jack Ross is going to be in charge or not in charge the next game. Um, but if he does remain in charge. Kieran Clark asks, "How can he win back the fan base?" And I'll pose that to James. <laughs> well, you know, I've touched on it already, but the only way that, that a manager can um, uh, shore up his position is to is to win games, and, and and even in Jack Ross's case, even that doesn't always uh, guarantee you a positive reaction. You also have to uh, perform well as as well. The team has to perform well. So that's you know in short that's the 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 fast route to doing it. Um, I think the 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 way that the fan base is now and the way that social media and the criticism when it comes can be twenty four seven. It can snowball very very quickly in a way that didn't happen in years gone by. You think back to um, 
when Alex Ferguson first took over at Manchester United and was not very successful in the early days. Um, and there was uh, a sizable amount of Manchester United fans that, that wanted rid. Um, but he was able to ride that out. But would he have been able to ride that out now in, in this climate with social media and 24-7 and phone-ins every day of the week? I think he probably wouldn't. I think they would have uh, they would have pulled the trigger and he would have been gone and that would have, you know, the, the whole shape of, uh, of football would be different. I think that I, I've often thought, I think I wrote something a, a while back, uh, you know, where where would, how would things have looked if we'd have had Twitter and social media when Sunderland were relegated with 19 and 15 points? I mean, back in those days, it was just the message board, which was a more niche thing. You no, know, not everybody was on the message board. And then, you know, even when Howard Wilkinson was in charge, you had the uh, the three legends phone in. It was a it was a limited uh, a limited channel for, uh, for for criticism, if you like. But now it's twenty four seven constant, and that's what's so damaging about yesterday's defeat. Because there's two weeks of this now, and I'm, I'm obviously there's a game on Tuesday, but that's not going to quieten things down. Even even if Sunderland uh, uh, win and win well against Grimsby, because in the grand scheme of things, that, that game doesn't really matter. Um, it, it, it becomes very, very difficult to uh, um, to cope with that in this sort of current current climate. And it's quite simply the only the only thing that Jack Russell, there's nothing that he can say, there's nothing that he can do apart from win games. What do you think, Phil? What do you think he can or should do, if possible? No, it's the the only way Jack can can win people back is to get the team in the top two, and yeah. sure fairly convincing signs that they've got a good chance of staying there over the course of the season and I've absolutely no issue with that either I don't want to be covering Sunderland in League One for a third season do you know what I mean it's I've absolutely no issue with the expectation and the pressure and the, the demand to get out of the division and as I touched on earlier the reality is until people feel as if they've seen enough to to have strong belief that that's going to happen then there's always going to be that criticism to any negative result I've no issue with that and only Jack can deliver it by going on a, on a long winning run um, I guess the point I was trying to make today is, is that that's Jack's job that's what he has to do now but other things can help too clarity above get this takeover situation resolved whichever way so that's all Jack can do he has to deliver a run of wins and they have to be with good performances to show people that they can stay up and maybe some positive news above him would help as well maybe um Either way, I think clarity's clarity's going to be the main thing over the next couple of months. Probably help the whole club, wouldn't it? A bit of clarity, not just Jack. Absolutely. In in any in any walk of life, in in any industry that we work in, any job that any of us have, any in in any of our lives, <laughs> uncertainty is affects your performance. It it stops you being able to plan effectively for the future. It stops you being able to perform at your best over a long period of time. Like I say, there's. There's no malice as to why it's happened at Sunderland. It's just the way things have transpired. Um, but that's but that's where we're at, and and yeah, that would certainly help. Allied, I would certainly concede with no more performances like the one yesterday, and a, and a few more like the one last Saturday. What do you think, Paddy? What can he do to get the fans that are against him back on side, which seem to be more of a majority than a minority these days? Yeah, I think with some people, um, there's probably nothing more he can do now. I think with some fans, I think they're just they're so sort of Ross out that 
he could win sort of five, six, seven games in a row, but they'd pick faults with every one enough to think that, oh, we can do better than him. So I think, yeah, it's it, it's hard for him at the minute because he just has to keep on trying to do his job and trying to turn around these these results and make sure that we don't have any more Peterboroughs or Lincolns or Boltons this season. Just to hope that we've sort of flushed those kind of performances out of the system Obviously, going into you know, when looking at a few weeks ahead, when you have like the, you know, everybody says that the games around Christmas, and obviously we have one less just before Christmas, so there's not playing Bury. But you look at, you know, you've got the same sort of fixture build up, and I think he's he's going to need Sunderland to be probably top two, I think, around that time to really sort of start convincing people that right, maybe it's just been like a really bad patch room, you know, there's been something in the team which he hasn't been able to get right for a few weeks or a few months, but it's got to start now. And I think with this international break, obviously, uh, we've got now, I just think it can go obviously one of other two ways, either, you know, the speculation or like the the rumours of, you know, is Ross going to get the sack? If, if they do come true, then it'll give us what, a week and a half, a week, depending on when and if it happens, to get a new boss in. Or he has two weeks to sit down and think, right, this happened last time, we lost before an international break, but then after that we came out and we actually got some pretty, you know, relatively convincing wins. So he's got to sort of go back and think, I need to do that again, but I need to make sure that it doesn't all just sort of go up in flames with one more game before the next national break or the next break in play. So it's he's got a long way to go to convince people, but I think it's as simple as the only way to convince those who want him out the most is to basically just sort of start putting in, getting his team playing better football and just winning games, really. It's just as simple as that. Um, we talked about clarity a little bit before, um, Phil. There was... Someone put a really good question in, Lorraine Roberts. Um, Stuart Don's been a little bit quieter than usual. I think we know why, because of the whole takeover thing. But away from the takeover, do you think, Phil, that if he wants to keep Jack Ross, and that's his man, even after yesterday's result, which a lot of fans are saying he shouldn't, maybe he should come out and back him a little bit, give a bit of stability where he can? Um, possibly. I mean, I guess the point I was making wasn't so much about a public vote of confidence necessarily yeah. I, I've got the takeover of course um, I, I, they can often be counterproductive to be honest um, so it, it's not so much about that I guess the point I was more just making about is you know where the manager fits into the, the bigger picture of where the club wants to go to do you know what I mean yeah um, in terms of you know I would talk a lot about Norwich and, and when you know Daniel Farker went through his sticky patch in his first season I don't think there was necessarily a public vote of confidence from Norwich but there was a communication and an understanding of, of where he fitted in yeah. and even though at the times many fans would have disagreed with that and you know <laughs> he went on to an incredible job in another world he might not have you know that's fine but there was that understanding of, of where he fit in so that's more what I'm getting at than a, necessarily a him coming out and saying I'm not going to sack Jack because to be honest I I'm not sure that actually helps anybody in the end. Yeah. What do you think, James? Uh, I think public votes of confidence um, are never a good idea, uh, no matter how well-intentioned they are, uh, because they set their hair running. Um, you know, as soon as uh, an owner comes out and says something like that, people say, well, he's not got long left then, has he? You know, 
Um, it's so definitely, isn't it? Sometimes, yeah, I think it's it's counterproductive. There are things that that Stuart Donald could do, um, which don't involve a, a public vote of confidence, which would have the same effect. But I think that um, you know, more importantly, Jack Ross was Stuart Donald and Charlie Methven's appointment when they came in. So let's assume that they are close or closing in on selling the club. If they sack Jack Ross now, then that accepts that their time as owners has been a failure. Uh, they've picked the wrong manager, failed to get out of the championship, failed to get out of the league one last last season, and then have ended up sacking their man um, relatively early in, in the season. And I don't think that they'll want to accept that. Um, I think they'll want to show a bit of faith and... Uh, um, you know, stick by him. That's what I would do if if I was in their situation. But you know, I'm not them. <laughs> Paddy, what do you think? I think, yeah, I I agree with sort of uh, what James said. How like it would be if they go away from the club with having sold it, and then they've left sort of that the guy who they brought in has been replaced. I think that would be sort of you look at it and it'd be like sort of a year and a half, two years where it's just that like we haven't really made an impact on this club. Um, so I think it's, it, it'll be important for them. So obviously to, to probably stick with Ross for as long as they can. And obviously if, if they, you know, once they've sold the club on, if they, if the new people who come in, if they replace Ross, then they can sort of say, well, it was out of our hands. But I think obviously they'll want to, not, not so much save face, but just to sort of, leave with that a bit more sort of credit in the fact that they've they've stuck with the guy who they brought in at the start of their sort of tenure at the club who they thought was going to be the best man for the job and you know a lot of people might not agree that say after two years if Ross hasn't left us in a better position as to when he um, when he came in as manager but I think it, it will be important for Obviously, the outgoing owners to sort of just to have that on their CV, just to say like, well, you know, we've we've come in, we've we've financially sort of stabled the club as much as we can, not without within our limits, and we've basically made the club an attractive prospect to take over. So we can sort of move on now, you know, whether we are in the championship next season or not. I think they can sort of feel that Ross will still be there, but. Other parts of the club will be better off than what they left. So I think they'll, that'll be sort of, um, it'll be sort of a tick in the box for uh, Methvin and Donald, I think. So I'm going to put you all on the spot a little bit, if I can. Um, I'll go with I'll go with Phil, as the other one I can actually see. Um, you're Stuart Donald. Do you do you go ahead with Jack Ross, or do you do you change your mind and go elsewhere? Um, I would I would stick with Jack Ross, but. There's probably plenty of good reasons why I'm not a football chairman. So, but um, <laughs> but yeah, no. Look, I would stick with him. Look, it's I'm not in the business of, <laughs> you know, I, I've I've no issues with, with with fans' opinions. It's it's why we get to do the job we do. It's it's part of the yeah. game. No issues whatsoever. For me, it's it's more about putting Jack into the context of the whole football club, and that's why at this point, I don't think it's. It's a particularly sensible business decision. I don't think it's the right decision. Um, so that that would be my thinking on it. Um, personally, I like Jack. I, I still think he can get this team promoted. 
others will disagree. I've I've no issue with that. That's just part of the game. But um, so yeah, my very long-winded answer to your attempt at a snap question is uh, <laughs> is that I would stick with. No, very very measured answer. Answer, I think. Um, James, what what do you think? Um, I would stick with Jack Ross. I think that uh, the club needs uh, some measure of of stability. Um, Jack Ross has been the longest. Uh, well, the first manager to go through a, a full season and then start the next season for, you know, however many years since Steve, Steve Bruce was was in charge. I think it needs some stability at a time when everything else is is up in the air over the ownership and all the rest of it. I think that uh, uh, there needs to be some stability in there. Um, as Phil says, fans, some fans will have uh, different opinions. Of course, you know, no managerial appointment is is ever. Um, you know, universally welcomed, and no sacking is ever universally welcomed either. You know, there's always there's always a, a range of opinions, um, but in in my view, you've got to give somebody time to uh, properly uh, rebuild. Jack Ross was given a two year contract; it was a two year project. So, you know, I think that that he should be at least given the the opportunity to carry on at present. It's not as though Sunderland are mid-table, you know, 11th, 12th, 13th, 14th and, and miles away, they are four points from the automatic promotion places and I think that, uh, you know, you should be allowed to carry on. And finally, Paddy. Yeah, um, I wouldn't really go, I don't think I'm much further out really. I think it, if we get rid of him now, then we're going to have a new guy coming in with a squad of players which he can't have a say on until January. Um Nobody knows, obviously, what there will be to spend in January. Uh, usually with Sunland, you know, you look at the last couple of years, we haven't really been able to sort of push the boat out in the January window. Um, and obviously, just thinking back to like, you know, when we had Chris Coleman, you know, that was obviously an even tighter financial situation. And, you know, you look at some of the players who we came out with, it wasn't great. So I just think it will be, I don't think it'll be particularly harsh on Ross front to be sacked now I don't think he should be but I think it will be harsh on um, the new manager coming in to bring him in and just say right this squad of players has got us and I'll say 7th or 8th in League 1 we want them in the top 2 you've got to come in and do it like now I think there's not many managers who would come in and thrive in that situation who are currently available so I just think a bit of patience not so much patience but more just persistency with with Ross and you know the squad which he's built is probably most important to this point so I'm getting I've got less and less faith in him but I still think he should remain as manager for the sort of foreseeable future but it just depends on sort of how the I think you've got to sort of ask this question again around maybe Christmas I think if we're in, if we're still sort of seventh or eighth, and you know we're sort of like grinding out wins and then getting turned over by teams we shouldn't be, I think that's when the pressure's really going to be on. But as we've said before, we are still only basically a quarter of the way through the season, so I, I, there is still time. I don't think it's panic stations yet. It's just in the wake of such a bad performance, it's just it, it's hard not to think about obviously replacing the manager. So no one's up for a polo de canio then, no? <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Go um, well, 
Just before you go, obviously earlier this week, we did announce another Roker Report giveaway. I was second of the pod. We're giving things away here, geez. Um, to celebrate the launch of FIFA 20, we did team up with Game Sunland to give away another copy of the latest game in the FIFA series. Um, we had almost 500 entrants, which shouldn't really surprise me, to be honest. And I'm happy to announce the winner is at Tomo SAFC. Um, so congratulations for that. Please DM us with your contact details and we'll get that sent over to you. But aside from that, that's all for this week. Thanks very much to Paddy. No problem. James. A pleasure. You're very welcome. And Phil. Pleasure. Don't forget to subscribe to the Rogue Report on all platforms if you haven't done so already. And enjoy your two weeks off from the football. Apart from that, check your trade game. Sorry. Leasing trade game on Tuesday. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. When your skin feels nourished and glows, you radiate confidence. Osea makes giving your skin a glow up easy with their clean, clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This seaweed-powered duo features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW.